All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show. We have a very unusual show for you today. Uh, first, we're going to start off with uh, an awesome and unusual wedding where Malka Fleischer and I uh, attended, and also some of the other folks that you uh, have heard their names before or heard their voices before. Uh, very special wedding that's coming up right now. And I'm in the car going home from the wedding with Malka Fleischer. Malka, shalom. Shalom. <laughs> that was a good shaloming, Malka. Yeah, thanks. So, yeah, Ishai, you know, we have had some ups and downs over the last couple days. Yesterday was brutal. Um, brutal for, for the Jewish nation. Brutal for us. Um, seeing what happened in Beersheba. What happened? The uh, the murder of four people, the orphaning of like ten people, uh, ten little people, ten children, and of course, you know. And then today, you know, I went on social media and just to see the like the just unabashed celebration happening on the part of like pro Palestine movement people. A lot of it in Arabic, so like they think that nobody knows what they're saying. No, they 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 actually have no problem with people knowing what they're saying. They are proud of it. And everybody knows what happened, that this, this, this terrorist came out uh, out of a Bedouin town and, uh, and went and murdered uh, four Jews with, sta- with awful, awful stabbings and awful videos. And uh, I I was uh, I'm feel much better now after this wedding because I was just down in the dumps. I was broken in my heart. And I, 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 just, I just, you know, couldn't bear it. And there's so many things around the story, and we'll, we'll talk about it throughout the wedding as well, uh, that, um, that were so heartbreaking in that whole story. Um, and um, what can I tell you, Malka? I'm just, I'm just kind of, you know, we're here right now driving on Derek Chevron. It's called the, the Way to Chevron, but it's actually, we're right next to the old city. We're right next to Mount Zion Gate. And uh, I, I got a little bit of solace at this wedding that I desperately needed because it was just such a heartbreaking thing. Not just the murder itself, but also the the weakness of Israeli security services at this time, the growth of jihadism in our land. And, you know, these moments where you're like, Jews, you know, we say never again. And yet, and yet um, here was a very never again moment and it, and it happened yet again. So it, it, it was heartbreaking. And uh, today's wedding was was just what I needed to lift my spirit back up. And just being here right next to the old city of Yerushalayim, uh, there's nothing more uplifting than that. The the consolation of Jerusalem is our consolation. The rebuilding of Jerusalem is is the rebuilding of our people. And even though we still have uh, uh, weaknesses... Uh, just to be able to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt, God may you rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and here they are rebuilt, and we're inside of them. It's um, it gave me that that solace that I needed. Yeah, I definitely felt um, felt like a soothing inside my heart going to this wedding, and it was a very special wedding because it was the wedding of people who had just converted this morning finished their conversion process they finished the conversion meaning to say they converted that's that's it that's it it's not like i don't think you get like 60 percent to you know yesterday and 40 percent today like you you finish your mikvah dunk and that's it now you're now you're jewish so so that was pretty amazing and this couple beautiful couple with many children and they got converted in the morning and had their jewish wedding in the evening and you know the people that were taken from us yesterday they are not replaceable 
Um, it's not as if you can say, well, four people were taken and four people came and, and, you know, we're even now. It's not like that. And yet these people were ripped out of our heart. These, these four Jews, amazing people, parents, and today was born new Jews, people who know very well what it mean, what it looks like here in the land of Israel. There are people who are informed, they read the news. And with all of that, they chose to become part of the Jewish nation and take on all the commitments that that entails, um, not just the commitments of Torah, which are the massive, uh, overwhelming majority of commitment, but also the commitment to the nation and whatever happens to the people happens to them. And they could have lived um, you know, a very comfortable and good upstanding life as non-Jews in America and have been uh, wonderful, great people just as they were. But instead, they chose to leave everything behind, come to the land of Israel. And, you know, I want to give a special recognition to the mother of the bride, the mother of the wife, who did not undergo a conversion today. And yet she was here in Jerusalem at the wedding of her daughter, meaning to say she had been at a wedding once, right? When her daughter, she thought, married this guy, and then they went on to have kids. But she came all the way to Jerusalem to this, like, Jewish Orthodox wedding. And she was there, and she was dancing and watching the kids and smiling and just supporting her daughter all the way through. I thought that was unbelievable. Um... So, you know, because because uh, one could easily have a different scenario in which the parent is, is not so overjoyed or is, you know, tolerant of the situation, but not over over happy about it. And here you had this incredibly classy, beautiful lady there to support her daughter and her grandkids as they like completely changed religions from the religion that they had been when she had been raising you know, when she had been raising them. Right. And so I just, uh, it gave me a lot of hope in my heart um, for the future and a lot of belief that we are, um, our path is, you know, they can, they can punch us in the face a little bit, but we're going to keep going on our path. And our path is, we're unstoppable on that path. Yeah, Hashem is making it unstoppable. Right now we are driving still on Derek Hebron. And I see now that we're, uh, um, we are close to Armona Natsiv, the great lookout point um, over uh, the old city of Jerusalem, the Has Promenade, and we're actually passing one of the holiest places in all of Jerusalem, the Katsefet ice cream shop here in Derech Hebron. I know it's holy because it's always filled with people, and there's always a yearning. Here's our dentist's office as well, uh, at a building that was built just in the last few years, um, and we are passing close to Talpiot. Uh, which is uh, the s- southern kind of neighborhood of Jerusalem and some of the new towers. My friend lives on the 22nd floor, I think, of that tower right over there, which has the most incredible, breathtaking view. I go to his house, I sit on his uh, on his couch there, look over the whole of Jerusalem and, and the Temple Mount. It's just mind-blowing. Uh, Malka, uh, today's show is also going to have a segment uh, that I did on Fox Radio about Route 60, the Israel Biblical Highway. And also about Abraham's well in Hebron. Uh, so that's with Lauren Green on uh, uh, Lighthouse uh, Lighthouse Faith Radio on Fox Radio. That's really cool. Light, Lighthouse Faith. That's a great show, Lauren Green. And she has me on from time to time. Uh, and 
Uh, I just want to say uh, it's great to go out with you as well, Malka, uh, on a night out. Uh, the grandma is watching the kids, so that's really fun. Uh, and we're going to have first the, the wedding sounds that I recorded. And then after that, uh, Ben Bresky is going to stick in uh, the, the interview that I did on Fox, which I think you're going to enjoy. Uh, and I also want to thank all the folks that make this show possible. If it's Yocheved, if it's Tabitha, Ben Bresky, uh, Mo- Moshe Herman out in uh, beautiful Idaho, uh, and also Lou that helped make this show uh, get out to the world. And, and the folks who support, like Krista, who bought me a coffee, a few coffees last week, which was really so nice of her, uh, and the good folks that are here uh, connected to us. And one of the things that I remembered this week is that I, I kind of made a commitment that I'm going to... Um, also make sure that that the Jewish people that are listening to the show uh, feel connected to the land of Israel and to Torah and those people who are part of what I call the International Torah Congregation know what's going on this week and first thing is of course we light a candle for the people who were murdered uh, for the four people who were murdered uh, this week if you can you know if you feel the pain of Jerusalem of Israel of Beersheba light a candle and the other thing is that this week is the Torah portion of Shmini which is, uh, the, uh, I think, the third Torah portion in the book of Leviticus, uh, and which is about the tabernacle being activated and the fire of God coming, coming down. But also, uh, after, after lapping up the sacrifice of the Jewish people, also laps up another sacrifice, which is the two sons of Aaron, uh, Nadav and Avihu, uh, who were taken... Uh, for a few, for, for for there's a disagreement or, or or different opinions about to about what was the reason that they were taken. One reason is that they spoke uh, Torah law. They taught Torah law in front of Moses. You know, kind of uh, uh, you know um, what's it called, muck up, like disrespectful, right? Disrespectful, like upstaging him. I guess that's the word I was looking for. And then that's one. That was one opinion. Another opinion is. Maybe they were a little bit inebriated. Why do I say that? Because the very next thing that's taught to Aaron is don't come in to the service while inebriated. So there's some people that say, well, they were probably inebriated. That's why they got in trouble. And then there's the Torah simple answer, which is they brought a strange fire, a fire that was not, uh, that was not called for, a strange sacrifice, strange fire. Uh, but another reason, Malka, and even Rashi says it, is that he says, I knew that this project was so great that there would be lives that would be offered up, taken. And I thought that it might be me or you, Moses says to Aaron. I thought maybe it could be me or you, but I found out that your two sons, Nadav and Avihu, were even higher than us. Wow. They were a more perfect, unblemished offering a sacrifice unto God. Uh, and, and, and I say all this, Malka, because this also gave me a lot of solace about the people who were so heinously murdered by the hateful and 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 de- 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 detestable jihad that's in our land and yet I, I I I in my heart believe that these people were taken in some way as some kind of offering some kind of expiation some kind of perfection that they had and they were taken out of this world I, I like to believe that so uh, that's Parshat Shmini, and so I, I call to the International Torah Congregation to read from the book of Leviticus and also about what is kosher and not kosher in animals. For example, split hooves, good. Uh, not split hooves, don't eat it. Uh, fins and scales, needed for fish to eat them. No fins and scales like an eel, don't eat it. Rabbit, don't eat it. Camel, don't eat it. Pig, 
Ta-da. Negative. Negative on pig. Negative on pork. Uh, and so uh, also the secrets about how the Jewish people have continuity. And this is what we read. So check it out in the book of Leviticus. Malka, for you, uh, Kashrut's very important. You you sure are uh, the boss slash slave driver slash uh, commander. Of the I kitchen. set you free. Okay. I'm not the slave driver. I'm the Moshe Rabbeinu of the kitchen. You are indeed the Moshe Rabbeinu of the kitchen. You're the Moshe Rabbeinu of, of our life. Speaking of Moshe Rabbeinu, Malka, we have a lot of sponsors to the show. What's the connection? I don't know. Uh, but but uh, folks make this show possible, uh, like JNS News Service, JNS.org, and also JewishPress.com. These are great uh, uh, news services that will let you know what's really going on in the world. And and by the way, speaking of uh, uh, speaking of uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, who who fights and cries for his people, for the Jewish people, we're just passing as we're driving home uh, south from Jerusalem. We're just passing near to the tomb of Rachel right now. Tomb of Rachel, there she is. She's still crying. For all the Jewish people to come home, and for, for all of you out there, for a world of peace, and certainly for for the for the for the people of Israel, I'm just kind of mentioning that because that's like a normal part of driving around here. Like there's Kev Rachel right over there, uh, and I also want to thank the folks at Prohibition Pickle, keeping us all pickled and happy. Uh, uh, indeed, Chaim did come right before Purim. With the nicest Mishloach Manot you've ever seen in your whole life. You have never seen such a good Mishloach Manot. And I still have a great salami for the Shabbos. That's Prohibition Pickle. Check it out on Facebook and on uh, Instagram. Um, I also want to thank... Who else do I want to thank? Oh, oh, the Israel Bible. Check out the Israel Bible. Uh, you know, there's like the Israel Bible, which is the Bible. But then there's the Israel Bible, uh, which is this this amazing, uh, uh, amazing printing of the Bible in English and Hebrew with transliteration, with Torah Torah explanations in English, just about the specific issue of the land of Israel. It's a beautiful Bible. I gave one to Mike Pence in Hebron. It was really cool. Type in coupon code Yishai and bang, you get 10% off from God's holy truth. Okay? So 10%... I don't, you don't get 10% off of God's holy truth. It's okay. like you get it cheaper. <laughs> Exactly right. Exactly right. Maka, it's just such a pleasure and fun to, to be driving with you right now. Um, and I really hope that folks stay together with us right now as we go to a very special wedding, which gave me a lot of solace, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, nachas, a lot of sense of, um, um, how should we say, what's, you know, when you have such a hurt. And there's a healing. That's exactly what I felt, a healing. So, Malka Fleischer, thanks so much for being with me. And uh, anything else you want to add, Malka? No, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Here's a holy wedding from Jerusalem. All right, folks. Yishai Fleischer here. We're at a wedding. And that's the way I want to start the show. Because this week, Israel saw four Jews murdered in a heinous fashion. And the only thing that kept me going was knowing that I would come to this very special wedding. And this special wedding... It's not only special because it's a Jewish wedding in Jerusalem, but also because this is a wedding of Jewish converts, folks who lived their lives for many, many years and had a lot of kids and had a lot of success, but have decided to to shift gears, come to Israel, become Jewish, and are getting married after their conversion's been done and finished. And here they are. I'm looking right now at the Chatan, and I'm looking at him with his kids. And he's embracing them under the chuppah, and there's so much joy here, as opposed to what happened yesterday, which is the four murdered people. And this, as I said to you before, was giving me strength all day to get through today and yesterday, knowing that I'm going to be coming to a place where Jews are reborn. 
uh, as opposed to being murdered. I'm here with Zev Warnstein, my good friend. Uh, he's the Director of International Affairs at the City of David. Zev, welcome to uh, the Pittenger wedding. Mazal Tov. Mazal Tov, Yishai. Tell me about uh, how you're feeling right now. Did you share my feelings that uh, there was a brokenness and this is a tikkun for that? One of the secrets of the Jewish people is we're named after the fourth son of our matriarch, Leah, who when she named her son Judah, she said, this time I will give thanks to the Lord. After the first three kids who were given names that she felt very unloved, and I think that's the secret of the Jewish people, that we go through a lot of challenging moments, but we recognize that in the end, everything we have is a blessing. Everything we have is a gift. Every day that we have here in the land of Israel with the Jewish people coming home is, is a gift. And uh, the more gratitude we're able to see, the blessings that we're able to see, I think the happier we're able to be. And it doesn't take away from the days like we had yesterday, which are filled with pain, but at the same time to recognize that we have a certain koach, a certain energy that, that we're able to not forget the pain, but to build off of it and have moments like this and, and remember the difficult moments while celebrating the joyous occasions that are built on all those thousands of years of challenging memories uh, that, that allow us to uh, celebrate where we are today after 2,000 years of exile and the best days are still to come. As you're saying this, the Kala... Again, these people have been married for many years, but they're new people now. But in their old version, they were been married for many years with a lot of kids. And she's circling around him seven times right now as, as we're talking. And it's even rude of me to record right now, but I don't care because I just thought, what, a, what an opportunity to share with the world. You, you, you know, Zev, uh, we, you and I have been working for many years in the issue of Kibbutz Galiot, the ingathering of the exiles. That's really where we started, where we met uh, on that issue. I, I spoke to a group of uh, converts, or in, in convert training, I told them that's the real kibbutz galuyot. When you were born in a Gentile body and you wanted to come back to the nation, then come back to the land of Israel, that's real kibbutz galuyot. That's what I feel like right now. I mean, it's amazing here. These, these people, this very special family, they've chosen the God of Israel. They've chosen the land of Israel. They have, what, seven kids, eight kids. And, and when they converted... It's almost like a new start, and they've chosen each other all over again. And, and that's the amazing thing of like an Aseven Ishma. We will, we will choose to, to be with each other, to be with the God of Israel and the land of Israel, with the people of Israel. And it's really special that this is what you see here, people who are choosing life. Hashem says to us in the book of Deuteronomy, I put before you today life and death. Choose life. And that's what we do every day here in the land of Israel. That's what these holy people are doing, choosing life. All right, we're going to keep paying attention to the uh, beautiful ceremony. Rabbi uh, Menachem uh, is uh, from, uh, from, from, from uh, what's the yeshiva called? From Mechon uh, Meir, uh, is, is officiating, and it's a very powerful moment, and you're here with us. Become clean, it's like Yom Kippur. It's the day that you're, you're uh, cleansed of all your past history, difficulties, whatever it is, and you start fresh like a newborn baby. As a matter of fact, when someone dunks in the mikvah and becomes Jewish, the Talmud compares that to being like a newborn baby. And so you're doubly a newborn baby. But the truth is, somewhere around here, we have a few other newborn babies. And so we're not just celebrating 
one birthday, but ten birthdays. It's unbelievable. Now you're all going to have the same birthday. It's more economical to have one cake for everyone. It's really uh, the birth, as I said, of a Jewish family. It's, it's, uh, it's so exciting. And as uh, I'm officially here, a teacher of Ruvain, and um, it's an honor and a privilege. But the truth is, I feel in many ways Ruvain is my teacher, and if I speak for my friends and colleagues and fellow students, in many ways Ruvain is our teacher. Ruvain and the whole family really teach us what it is to be inspired, what it is to love Judaism, what it is to love Hashem, and to, uh, to be so excited to learn each and every new idea, new mitzvah, new commandments, new uh, uh, vision of Judaism and how do we, you, can, you can implement that in your everyday life. And uh, we thank you. We thank you for, for sharing that with us and inspiring us and teaching us. So it's a privilege and an honor to be with you. And uh, with your permission, we'll begin. I'd like to uh, finally uh, bless Ruven and Megira. That's right, Jody Megira. Um, that the love that they that has brought them so far on such a journey from North Carolina and uh, so many experiences and such a long journey to make it to this day. Um, that love is, is is what brought you here, what kept you together. Love of God, love of the Jewish people, love of Torah, the love of each other. And they're no less important, this is my blessing to you, that this love, all these loves, should only grow and grow, get stronger and more powerful and more sweet. And you should have uh, only blessings. Usually at a, at a chuppah, I bless that you should have children. Uh, there's no uh, upper limit. <laughs> when I was uh, a kid, there was a TV show. Eight is enough, but you don't have to follow the TV shows. There's no, there's, there's no upper limit. But it, you know, you've brought a blessing already to the world, and you'll continue to bring blessings. And all those blessings shall be showered back upon you from the bottom of my heart. Result. Sometimes the land that was barren is so happy that her children have come home. And they've come home from so far away. All the way back here in the land of Israel is so happy that you were here with your beautiful family. Like what an amazing opportunity in Yerushalayim to be saying these words with you guys together under this chuppah. I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> so, Stasi.
בסיס וצגל העקרה בקיבוץ פניה לתוכה בשמחה ברוך אתה אדוני משמח ציון בבניה אמן Beautiful blessing, Jeremy Kempel, Rabbi Jeremy Kempel. Thank you so much for coming to this wedding and cheering me up a little bit because of the sadness of yesterday. Tell me about how you're feeling at this uh, special moment. It's been a 13-year journey with me and Ruven and Meira. And it's, uh, you know, every once in a while you have, like, climaxes in life. That all the work that we do, spreading the light, kind of bringing people back to their source. It's amazing. It's a miracle. It's prophecy. It's destiny. In the heart of Yerushalayim, like, what could be better? Okay, the whole family and all the kids are going to sing in Mishkachach.
Ruven, formerly Bobby, uh, this is your wedding day, and you've been married for many years, and yet you're getting remarried today, but as a Jew, I'm bothering you right in the middle of the wedding here, but just give me a thought about, about what this is all about, what this is all like for you. You know, uh, first of all, thank you, Rabbi Yeshai. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the work that you do representing Hebron, the Jewish community of Hebron. And uh, may we grow and expand Hebron soon and bigger and better than it's ever been before. And, um, you know, I'll tell you the thought that comes to mind. Speaking of Hebron, you know my new name. My new name is Reuven Ben Abraham. And I think of my, my new father, Avraham. I am the son of Avraham. Avraham Avinu. Oh my goodness. That's what comes to mind. Who am I? Who am I to now be called a son of Avraham? I'm so grateful. I'm so humbled. I'm grateful for this day. Grateful so much to Hashem to be, to be living in the land of Israel at this time, at this moment, at this day. But you didn't really need this. You had a good life. You were doing well. You come from a strong family. You were doing well in America. To, to change your life, to come to Israel, to join this peoplehood. And the day before your wedding, four Jews are murdered in the streets of Beersheba. Was there a thought in your mind somewhere that's like, do I need this? What do I need this for? You know, um, our, our... Go ahead, go ahead. We'll finish <laughs> You know, it's such a tragedy what happened yesterday. The sweet Chabad rabbi who, uh, who was tragically uh, stabbed and, uh, and, and died. And, uh, but you know what? It shows that uh, Am Yisrael Chai, uh, we go on, we fight, and we, uh, we, no one is going to stop us from growing the land of Israel, from expanding the land of Israel, from building the land of Israel, from building Yerushalayim, from building the Beit HaMikdash. Yes, indeed. I came from uh, North Carolina. And, from a strong family. Uh, I, I love my family back in North Carolina. Amazing people. And, uh, you know, I'm here uh, because we, we love Hashem. We, had, we, we just love Hashem. We wanted to be in the land of Israel. Can I, can I ask you to please tell everybody about the first mitzvah you did today and, and, and uh, on camera? I want this, to is, this is Rabbi Weinberg? Yes, Rabbi Weinberg. Teacher of yes. Meir. And uh, the founder of an organization to help converts called Ohev Ger. Why don't you tell us the first mitzvah you when you came out of the Beit Din today? Yeah, my my the first mit, mitzvah after I came out of the Beit Din, I uh, I donated to Ohev Ger. Ohev Ger, run by Rav Weinberg, uh, with a, a single special purpose, and that purpose is to help families like ours, people like us, who have just finished a uh, a gear. And they finish the gear, and then they ask the questions, okay, now what? What do we do? That's what Rev Weinberg is here doing. He's here to help families like us, people like us, really make it in, uh, in, 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 the, in the Jewish world, in, in the land of Israel, to, uh, to thrive, to grow and to thrive. I have listeners from all over the world, Alaska, all kinds of places, and they're not, they're not Jews, but they love Judaism, they love Torah, they want to follow its ways. What advice do you have for the Gentile who loves God, who follow, who understands that the Bible is real, who loves Israel? Like, what's your advice to a person on, like that's on that path? You know, that's a great question. Uh, you're talking about the 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 the, the righteous going who who love God, who love Hashem, and they want to do what's right. Uh, go to uh, thelandofisrael.com. That's uh, and find uh, Rav Yishai Fleischer's podcast. <laughs> And, and listen to it every single week. My family, we listen to, I don't know how many podcasts, uh, for years and years and years. We listen to Rav Yishai Fleischer and his wife Malka, their podcast every single Sunday night 
for years, and it was the greatest thing in our family. We sat at the dining room table, and we just listened to them talk about the land of Israel. It's soaking in the land of Israel. Listen to, to um, uh, you know, the, it, almost every city in the world, there's a Chabad. And uh, Chabad is a beautiful organization, and, and uh, you can C-H-A-B-A-D. Uh, again, for, for those out in, uh, in, uh, in uh, uh, West Texas, C-H-A-B as in boy, A-D as in dog. And uh, they're a beautiful people, beautiful organization. And, uh, and I'm, they have local people who can help guide in the, uh, in the right path. So in short, get closer to Judaism, to Torah, to the land of Israel. Uh, Rav Weinberg is here. If, if, if you choose to go all the way, somebody's oh. going to pick you up and, and hold your hand here. So if, you, if you're looking, if you feel such a connection to Hashem, you feel such a connection uh, that you want to join the Jewish people, but see, you don't know what to do, you don't know where to turn, I tell you what, there's two places, there's the, the, where you need to go, you need to Google, go to Google, uh, and type in Mahon, M, M as in Miriam, A-C-H-O-N as in uh, Nancy. Nancy, Mahon Meir, uh, M E I R, yes. M M is in Miriam, E I R. Just Google Mahon Meir, and uh, this website will pop up. It's amazing. You can actually listen to Shirim like like live. talks live. You can listen to like the greatest teachers in the world right there in your living room, on your phone, in a train, and uh, I I I highly recommend it. So basically, plug in. And, and there's ways to do it, and that may lead you to a wedding in Jerusalem. <laughs> God bless you. Mazal tov, mazal tov, mazal tov. I'm here at the wedding of the Pittenger family. Used to be uh, non-Jews, now they're Jews. And we're celebrating in Jerusalem just one day after a, a, an awful, awful attack. And as I've been saying, this has really given me a lot of nachas, a lot of strength to kind of keep going because I was totally broken up yesterday. One of the people that I look to for strength and one of the people who also provides me with a great uh, news feed once a week with uh, uh, information about what happened in Israel with a lot of humor, uh, but also with a lot of edge, uh, is Rabbi Ben Packer, who's also the uh, guy in charge of the Heritage House uh, and great, brings volunteers to uh, do great uh, renovation work all over Judea and Samaria and in the old city of Jerusalem, and is also uh, one of the co-directors uh, of Young Jewish Conservatives which is a great movement, and I've been privileged to uh, have a Shabbat at YJC in, uh, in D.C. Ben Packer, thanks so much for being with me. Mazal Tov. Happy to be here. Tell me about I this wedding. I get a lot of strength from you also, you, you <laughs> Yeah. So this is, this is a heck of an event. Uh, this is an event like from the dream. This is a dream of an event. Yesterday these people were not Jews, now they're Jews. It's, uh, I, know, I know them for many years. And uh, to see the path that they came on and their dedication, I, I called I called Bobby a few months ago and asked him to come with me actually to Hebron, and he said I have to be in yeshiva. I, I'm, I'm dedicated to this process, and to see somebody dedicated to the process to really to really you know do what they say they're going to do, it's uh, it's really a beautiful thing to see. When you say dedicated to the process, you also mean the process, the intellectual process uh, of the study. Of becoming a Jew. That's a very interesting part about naturalization to the Jewish world. Part of it is a mental naturalization of, of becoming knowledgeable in 
the, shall we say, secret pack, the way that we do things. Yeah, and it's probably especially challenging to an accomplished person like Bobby and Jody. They're accomplished people. Now they're going to have to come and say, I have to learn all this information and start from scratch. You know what kind of humility that must take? I don't think I can fathom that kind of humility. It's really a, a process of incredible humility that I know I don't think I could handle and I don't think many people can handle. And they handled it in stride in a way. So it's very inspiring and uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I think it, 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 it reflects on their bigness and that they're willing to be small at this moment. These are important people. These people are important people in their society. And they have, you know, it's just, it's, un- it's really unbelievable. Now, Ben, um, yesterday afternoon, uh, I had a good meeting, uh, an important meeting, and I'm driving home, and, and, and I'm getting home, and I'm tired, and suddenly this thing unfolds of a, of a lone, and I say lone, I mean one guy. I don't mean that he was one of, the, one of these beliefs that he was completely you know, detached from society. Here's a, an Israeli, this is his legal definition, an Israeli Bedouin Arab uh, who was sat in prison for his affiliation with frickin' ISIS, and yet he was deemed to be not so dangerous. Yesterday goes out on a spree, and sadly, uh, a successful spree. Sometimes it's a matter of quote-unquote luck. He kept going, he was driving his car, ran a guy over, a car got stopped, he comes out with a knife, stabs people in a horrendous fashion, and takes a long time, like eight minutes, uh, to, to take him down. And even then, with great hesitancy, um, because of the concern that the two Jews with guns had for not getting their guns taken away. Later on, after that, after this heroic shooting of the bad guy, a whole saga erupts about their guns being taken away by the police. Really like a moment where, where the Israeli police, the state of Israel looks weak vis-a-vis Bedouin Arabs. Security is lost. The word fear, which I detest, is said over and over and over again on the radio. You're a news junkie. Explain to me how we see this thing. I, I would say, first of all, I live in the old city of Jerusalem, so I know how bad the Israeli police can be. But, but I, I want to I, I focus for a second. It is true that the people that took down the terrorists, maybe on the video it did look like hesitancy, and I think it probably was. But at the end of the day, they did take down the terrorists. And that must be emphasized. They stopped the carnage. They took out the terrorists. They ended the threat. Uh, and that, I think, is a very big deal. I think it's a very big deal. I think it gives inspiration to a lot of other people who would like to think they would do the same. And uh, so I think I, I want I personally try to focus on that to some to a large degree. Uh, number two, listen, it's incredibly sad. And these people who were killed seemingly had very little chance of, 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 of fighting off the terrorists. They were they were just taken by surprise, and this is what happened. We have to also think about all the other stabbing attacks that we've had recently where we didn't have these kind of results and be thankful for those because really they could all be like this one. So we have to be thankful. So that's two positive things I'd like to take out of the thing despite the fact that it's horrific and there are orphans and families. are Ten orphans, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's just, it's really sad. It's really sad, uh, but probably not surprising to anybody as well. We know that there's been a lot of incitement, specifically within the Bedouin community in the Negev, where this individual came from, this terrorist. 
So uh, no one, I think, is surprised by this. No one is surprised by the police not responding. There's unfortunately no surprises here. It's uh, Well, the, the greatest lack of surprise is that we're allowing this entity to grow within our country, which is this Palestine that's growing within. And Palestine takes on many forms. It's a Palestine for Israeli Arabs, for Israeli Bedouins, for, for so-called Palestinians. These lines are, are, are fabricated. In reality, there's a consciousness line, a consciousness border that's being built, and a, and a type of, they call it a fifth column, whatever you want to call it. But there's a, there's a growing entity within Israel. The numbers are big. And, and, uh, and, and, and the state of Israel is continuously showing its post-Zionist modality. And we are, we are just not at the zenith of strength uh, and the enemy senses that. Um, and also, by the way, the friends of Israel sense that. Certainly, I mean, listen, uh, any group is only as good as its leader. With bad leadership, you really, can't imp- you really can't expect much. It's just the nature of how things work in the world. Bad rabbi, bad rabbi for our community, very little chance the community is going to be successful. We have a head of the police right now that gave a speech at the funeral where he didn't even realize the terrorists had been killed. Our government, there, there's a lot of problems at the top. I'm not saying there's nothing to be done, but there's a lot of problems at the top. When there's a lot of problems at the top, unfortunately, you got to expect a lot of problems. So uh, we have a problem at the top right now. We have members of the government who are of that fifth column. I would say probably a majority. And I'm not only talking about the Arab party. They're not even the worst party probably in the current government. Post-Zionist is a term you describe them. I would just call them enemies of Israel. They're, you know, and they're in the leadership positions, which is in absolute insanity. It's insanity. Maybe it's crazy that the Arab party is there, but it's even crazier that Meretz is there. It's insanity. I just want you to know that I was speaking to Dr. Mordechai Kedar, who was one of my, uh, you know, one of my mentors, and and he just said to me, and I knew this to be true. He's like the Saudis, the UAE folks, the Egyptians are like, what is with you guys? And and he uses they use language which is harsh, but I'll tell you what they say. What he told me, they say to the Israeli government, they say to the Israeli government, quash them like cockroaches. Now I'm not using that terminology, mine. I'm telling you how the Saudis tell the Israeli government to deal. With the Palestinian Authority. I was, I was just recently in North Carolina where Bobby and Jody are from, the, the groom, the bride and groom here from tonight. And I gave a speech there, and a non-Jewish woman came to the speech. And she asked me one of the hardest questions. She said, how do I explain to young Jewish people these Israeli left-wing Jews who are doing these terrible things? That's a very hard question. That's a very hard question. Not a very nice question. It's a good question. But, I mean, uh, the answer is, listen, we have issues. We have weak spots that we need to work on, and, and this is a big one. It's a, it's a tough situation, but, listen, the future is bright. There's, listen, the future is bright. Look at a wedding like this. You look what we're seeing in, in, in parts of the world. In Hebron right now, as I'm sure Yishai points out regularly, if you walk through the streets of Hebron, it's Jewish construction site after Jewish construction site. It's absolutely amazing. It sends a message, that's for sure. There's a lot of bright. There, we have some weak spots we got to work on. You know, I got to go to the gym too. You know, we got we got some stuff to work on. All right, Ben Packer, Mazal Tov. And uh, for me, this, uh, as I was saying before, at the intro, for me, this wedding is a, is a nechama. It's a consolation for the for the pain of, of yesterday. And may we be consoled by the rebuilding of Yerushalayim, Yerikodesh. Amen. Amen.
All right, so I'm here with Ravit. He looks like a, a from Jew, uh, dressed in a suit, three-piece suit and a hat, black hat. Uh, and the Khatan, the groom, just walked you over to me, Ravit, and told me that you only found out that you were Jewish at the age of 50 and had a circumcision at the age of 60. Uh, and, and the reason he, you guys met is because you were both studying together at Machon Meir. Is that right, Ravit? That's right, that's right. I, I, I like to join this uh, story for me. I was born in Germany from a Jewish uh, woman. My mother, she's a Jew, and she was very much traumatized about the Shoah. Her whole family were killed during the Shoah. Her mother was killed uh, in Auschwitz. And so I was born in Germany, and uh, they didn't, uh, my mother and my father, they didn't tell the children that we are Jews. They want to protect us. So we went to the church, the Christian church, and we didn't know that we are Jewish. So, but something inside of us, we felt that there's something more we don't understand. We always had the questions to our parents. So Ravit, you were telling me that you were raised uh, and you were going to church and you, were, and you didn't know that you were Jewish. That's right, that's right. So uh, we do, didn't go every week to church, but... Uh, because my mother, she wanted to hide the Jewish life. And so we felt something, there's in, something inside, and we had these questions, and she never gave answers. She said, oh, don't talk about it. It's history, don't uh, ask anymore. So we didn't ask. And at, at the age of 20, I think it was, uh, she told me... Yes. Okay, so... Uh, we felt something inside there need to be something and but we didn't get the answers and at the age of 20 I had these answers of, of my mother she said we are Jewish but oh she, she threw it out there yes but we didn't understand what does it mean it's like when your mother we're going to tell you one day I want to tell you you have blue eyes right. so okay so what's about so and that this was um, nothing more coming out of her and but she then we had these questions and she told me okay your grandmother my mother she was killed in Auschwitz and then I had this feeling inside I don't like to live anymore in this country the Germany Germany where I was born so I decided to leave the country I said to my mother I don't want to breathe the the, the air of the the murders of our family and I don't understand why you are still living in this country. Oh, he said, oh, you need to know, I also was born here and I have my background. And they say, I'm going to leave. I, I'm going to, away. Of course, uh, mothers don't like to hear this, but she understood. And at that moment, I decided to go to Amsterdam. Great the, town, a fun town. It's beautiful, it's yeah. beautiful. And they have a very big Jewish community. But I didn't go there because I didn't know what it means to be a Jew. And there was one single thing I remember. It was something very strong. My mother, she told me when I left, don't tell anyone that you are a Jew. It could be dangerous. So I was trained in this and didn't told the people that I'm a Jew. And... I, they asked me where you come from. I say I, I'm a German, and then I had problems in, in Germany. You need to know, in about two months I will be 70 years. So 70 I'm years old. 70 years old. So uh, when I left uh, 
to Amsterdam. It was in the year 72. And they hate the Germans so much because of the Second World War. And I had very much problems. One day they threw me out of the, the room where I lived because they didn't want me to be uh, inside of the home where of them. And I uh, sleep in the street and I had so much problems. Then I get married to a not Jewish woman because I didn't know what to, be, uh, what to do. I've been married for 40 years and the last years of my marriage I recognized what, the, uh, what it means to be a Jew. I went to a rabbi and he told me and gave me lessons and then I decided I want to have a Jewish life. I need to do this also to honor my mother and my grandmother and all the, the other members of the family. So I had these problems with my, with my wife, my first wife. She didn't allow me to be a Jew. She don't, didn't allow me to have a kippah, to celebrate the Shabbat and everything. And after many problems, I decided to divorce because I need to make a decision. One way I continue the life I had and the other I need to be a Jew. So I did this and then I went to my rabbi, I had lessons. At the age of 65 I had my Brit Milah and after that I decided I'm going uh, to leave. So you country. really weren't really a full Jew yes, I until am. the age of 65? Yes. And then I uh, made Aliyah two years ago and I met a beautiful Jewish uh, a woman, she's an orthodox woman, and I got married two years ago when I made Aliyah, and, and I decided to want, I want to more, uh, learn more about Torah, to come closer to Hashem, and I told her, I want to go to Yeshiva, she said, why you want to go to, these are only young people, I said, I need to do it, I need to do it, I need to listen to the voice of Hashem, and she said, okay, if you want this, it's beautiful, just do it, so I left the home where we live, I look for a room here in Yerushalayim. Now I'm all the week I'm living in Yerushalayim, going to the yeshiva, and in the weekend I'm going to my wife. So you're Rabbi Akiva. You're like Rabbi Akiva, yeah, exactly. Like that, like that. And I hope it's not a shame. I will come closer to Hashem. It's not only the knowledge I want to have about Torah, but I want to have to uh, how to say to live Torah. It's for me the most important, and I love to do it. I enjoy it so much. Wonderful story. Thank you so much. And God bless you. You look great. You look, you look, you don't look anything like your age. You look actually you. tremendously alive, reborn. The Torah gives us life. It's, it's a Torah of eternity, and it looks like it's giving you a spiritual rebirth. Thank you so much. Hashem brought me to this country, my home, to my people, and I'm so thankful. Thank you so much. All right, folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show, and on right now is my talk with uh, my interview with Fox Radio, a very important show by, by Lauren Green called Lighthouse Faith. It's about faith. God, we need more shows about faith around the world. And I had the great privilege to talk about some of the issues that I'm passionate about, which is Route 60, the Israel Biblical Highway, and Abraham's Well in Hebron. So here's my talk on Fox. It is the original Bible Belt, as you will, a stretch of highway in the Middle East, a, a path that has existed for more than 4,000 years. It's called the Biblical Highway, um, Israel's Route 60. It traverses landmark events in biblical history, marking the place where the patriarchs and the matriarchs walked and lived and had encounters with God, Jacob's Ladder, Rachel's Tomb, and Abraham's Well. 
The route is under restoration, but in restoring it physically will also bring a restoration and knowledge of the history that this road has for the three Abrahamic religions. Yishai Fleischer is the international spokesperson for the Jewish community of Hebron, and he joins me now to explain what's going on to this common and yet extraordinary stretch of land. Welcome, Yishai. Thank you, Lauren. Great to be with you again. Uh, it's wonderful to have you. Um, I want to get to the road, but I'll, first I want to talk about Abraham's well. What is Abraham's well? So Abraham, first, before we get to his well, we'll talk about Abraham himself. Uh, who is Abraham? Uh, he's the first of the forefathers of the Bible. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their wives, respectively, uh, are the founders of monotheism. And Abraham was the first to discover uh, how to serve the one God. And he was, he was out there smashing idols. He was, he was thinking about it logically, trying to figure out what, what is this world's purpose? And is, is there a God or gods? And, and he famously, you know, it led him to, to smash his father's idols. His, his father had an idol store, the legend kind of says. And, uh, and he went and he smashed those idols. Uh, and then he heard a call from God to go to the promised land. And he left Ur, Ur Kasdim, the Ur of Chaldeans, which is uh, uh, close to the Persian Gulf in Iraq. And then he went north towards Turkey, southern Turkey, to Haran. And from Haran, he went to the Holy Land. Now, the Holy Land has in it uh, a central mountain region. And he traveled on that central mountain region all the way to the southern desert called the Negev. And he traveled through these holy cities. And one of the main cities that he traveled, and this is all in the book of Genesis, which is the first of the book, the five books of Moses. And uh, in the book of Genesis, which lays out the story of the fathers and the mothers, um, the, the founding family of Israel, uh, there are these important cities. One of the main cities is the city that I have the pleasure and challenge of working in, and that is Hebron. Hebron is a 4,500-year-old city, uh, but Abraham came there 3,800 years ago, so it was already a 700-year-old city. Wow. That you know, it's an, funny because our only, only reference to Hebron is, you know, what, it's, what it is politically today. But we don't really go back and understand its biblical importance, you know, of yeah. Hebron. And this is, this, is where, this is where Abraham settled. It's one of the main cities that he settled in. He also was in a few other cities, like George Washington a little bit. But Hebron, <laughs> uh, uh, Hebron definitely was one of the main cities. Uh, that he lived in, uh, and we we have the remains of that Canaanite uh, city, the Hittite city of Hebron. We have found its walls, mm. and uh, we we are we have found artifacts from those times, uh, and we will actually be digging more in the future, and we know exactly where to dig to really uncover the Canaanite city uh, of Hebron, the Hittite Canaanite city of Hebron. And it was there that uh, Abraham settled, uh, and he also negotiated for um, a burial plot for his beloved wife, Sarah, uh, which is something very special about the Bible, that it lays out this love that Abraham had for Sarah, that Isaac had for Rebecca, etc. Um, and uh, he buries his beloved wife, Sarah, there in Hebron, and really creates uh, a burial place for the rest of the first family of Israel. Uh, which in the end is going to be Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Leah. According to mystical doctrines of the of Judaism, Adam and Eve are buried there as well. 
2,000 mm. years after that burial, uh, Herod built a magnificent structure atop of it, which is still there today. And people can come and indeed do in non-corona years, come and visit uh, <laughs> this amazing, amazing site. Now, with regard to the well, he- here's something that I learned recently. Actually, my mom, uh, who's, uh, who's a chemist, but also a great uh, uh, amateur historian, she told me that she read an article recently of why is it that that some of the uh, famous springs of the Middle East are well known to this very day. Other places, there are springs uh, uh, and, okay, water sources, but people relocate and, and it gets forgotten. Uh, the reason is, is because in the Middle East, water is sparse. It's hard to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, a good spring means that civilizations will stay around that spring. Even if one uh, nation or, or group of people or, or, or power comes and, and, and is there for a while, for a thousand years, then it goes away, people still congregate around that spring. It's really and, uh, very much like, I mean, the, th- the thing about it is, it's like America settled, settled on the rivers, you know, like right. the Mississippi River and, you know, the Missouri River. All of those rivers are very important to commerce and livelihood, but also source of, you know, of water, but I suppose in the Middle East, because water is scarce, it's about human beings needing to drink water, and wells are very important. They are, they are, and and you know when you're in New Jersey, uh, or you know those areas in the Northeast, if if you don't like one brook, there's another one a few paces <laughs> away. Uh, and and when when you when you come from Israel to America for a trip or something, you're always like, I cannot believe how much water there is around here. Big rivers, little rivers. You're just like, come on, we could use a little bit of that, you know. And and it, it really is like that. That that water is hard to find. The Bible talks about Abraham digging wells. It talks about the Philistines stopping up some of those wells. It talks about Isaac finding those old wells and digging them up again. And so, water is something you fight over. Remember Moses. Uh, when he when he runs away from Pharaoh, he sees these women and they're being kind of bullied by other shepherds for, over the water source. And and yeah. water is also where you meet your potential wives. That's where uh, that's where the servant of Abraham found a wife for uh, uh, for Isaac. That's where Jacob met Rachel on the on the water. You know what I mean? That's the the drinking oh. hole. That's the bar, right? Of, of, of ancient <laughs> times. So uh, the, the it's like happy hour. That's right. It's happy hour at the well. That's right. And think about it, it's hot out there and, and you go there and it's probably shady. There's an oasis there and, and you drop the water and it's nice and cool and refreshing. And uh, okay, that's where you're going to hang out. There maybe even some, you know, date trees. And it's a good place to have a date at the date tree. So um, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the Abraham's well is still extant and alive and well and still serves Hebron. In fact, I was there today and uh it's come to a little bit of disrepair. There's been some sewage from some of the nearby houses that has crept in. And, and today I was speaking with, a, with an Arab and he told me that some of the shepherds uh, bring their flock over there and some of the droppings from the flock end up in the mm. water. And that's what makes it dirty. And we're, we were having the most Middle Easternly conversation about how to keep the well clean and watch out from some of those sheep and goat droppings. And, and me and this Arab, we're having a, this uh, discussion there. Uh, how do you we know? How do Hebron. you know? Oh, excuse me, but how do you know it's it? It was Abraham's well. Um, great. The answer is there's just no other well. That is the well that was the city's well. And if you see pictures of it, and you could type it into uh, you know Wikipedia and, and whatever Google, and you'll see it. It is just an ancient well, and 
uh, I think the word spring is maybe more correct, but in any case, um, it's the thing that has kept that the that part of Hebron, which is the ancient city, going for thousands of years. There's just no doubt that this is the spring uh, itself, and that's where it's been. And it's also very deep. It's got uh, about three yards, you would say, we say three meters uh, of of water depth, uh, and it has sustained the city. Um, since since time immemorial and um, therefore it's it's and 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 so, and peoples have always called it abraham's the arabs and other peoples that are before it have always called it abraham's uh, well in the middle east uh the uh oral tradition is is actually very important it's like people say from you know people say from from father to son from mother to daughter from you know generation to generation this is the spot the same thing for the tomb of the, the patriarchs and matriarchs. There were some archaeologists that wanted to say this is an Edomian cultic site, but everybody's like, no, this is the tomb of Abraham. This is it's always been this way. And 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 that is that's a it's a very beautiful. Sometimes in the West we might turn our noses up at that and say, well, this doesn't sound scientific. There's really nothing more scientific than the passing of of heritage from one and tradition from one generation to the next. How do people how did people dig wells back then when they had rudimentary tools? You know, Lauren, uh, when you, uh, when you come to, uh, uh, when you, when you come to, to Israel and see some of the archeology, span you really get blown away by, but what, by what they were able to do. I mean, the tunnels from the Springs in Judea to Jerusalem, these like 30 meter down, tunnels dug in rock that have a small gradation so that the whole way down it's it's a tiny downward slope but brings the water from uh the a thousand meters height of of judea to the 750 meter height of, of jerusalem it's an incredible feat and think about the pyramids and think about think about the the, the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs or, or what was the temple at the, at the western wall the entrance to the, to the temple they really had amazing technology uh, and they knew how to dig and they knew how to work hard and they had, and they didn't have to uh, see their Twitter feed or anything like that. They had a full day of, of, of work and toil for the water that they needed and their flocks needed. And so they, not only did they dig these wells, they knew where to find the water. And they also knew how to, if, if you, if you see pictures of this well, you see that it's been like, stopped uh, the sides of it it's it's quite deep and so to keep the sides uh from from caving in you have to like bury rocks in there and really make it into a wall in the ground uh, and they 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 really did have uh, amazing technology back there and some of the stones uh that that are uh, holding up the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs are 30 tons and in jerusalem at the temple there are some that are 300 tons and wow we, yeah we are just like how do they do that? But they did. Uh, the ancients, the ancients were, were were smart, and we have great stuff. But we shouldn't think that we're, you know, way smarter than them. Because if we had to do, if they had, if they had to send a tweet, maybe they wouldn't know how to do it. But if we had to move a three hundred ton stone, I'm not sure we would know how to do that either. Wow, wow, a lot of elephants. I don't know. Maybe so. <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> they do things. Um, one more question on, on Abraham's well. And is it being restored? Is it being? What's happening with it? Well, it's 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 a it, it, it's an interesting dynamic of the Israel slash Palestine conflict, 
it's an interesting dynamic of children of Abraham, Arabs and Jews, Ishmaelites, uh, and uh, and uh, sons of Isaac, I guess. Uh, but just today I was there, and um, I brought some hard hardworking folks, folks who know how to get physical stuff done, and and some some Arabs came, and and we started talking about how do we keep this place, how do we how do we make it better, and we talked about making a fence around it because. Uh, because there's a danger of somebody falling in. We talked about uh, an elderly Arab who was a little out of his mind and somehow drowned in there. When it, and we talked about how to keep it safe. We talked about how to, uh, the, the next thing that, that, that I'm doing is um, uh, putting rails so that people can go down there safer, uh, making sure that the stairs are, are a little bit, just a tad more flush. I actually made a mistake and called it Route 66, which of course is in America, <laughs> but Route 60, has kind of the same effect, right? In Israel, tell Yishai, uh, what is Route 60 in, in Israel? Well, I love the comparison. Uh, you made a little slip, you called it Route 66, Route 66. <laughs> uh, and I really love that comparison a lot. And, um, you know, you know, uh, so, sometimes in the Middle East, uh, we think we have a lot to teach the world. But the truth is, is that uh, America's got stuff to teach us as well. Um, and I like to keep limber and be able to learn from, from everybody. <laughs> and one of the things that I really love about uh, the American idea about Route 66 and other roads is this idea of a heritage highway. Yeah, It's a very okay. American thing, heritage highway. You know, adopt a highway, heritage highway. Oh, yeah. When I was a kid, my mother took me to, uh, my mom and dad took me to Shenandoah and, and to Skyline Drive. And uh, beautiful roads are part of the American ethos of freedom, of, of being able to go anywhere and to see it for yourself. The car will take you there, you, you know, that family trip, that, that, that great American expanse. Uh, and I love that idea of the Heritage Highway. And uh, as I was thinking about that, I, <laughs> I realized that our Israel, uh, this land, this holy land, uh, when I say our Israel, maybe I take it back. It's really, in many ways, the heritage of, of so much of, of, of humankind. Um, there's a road that connects seven holy, historic, and biblical cities. And that road uh, is an ancient and famous road uh, that is called Route 60 in Israel. Mm. And it leads you... The truth is the full road takes you all the way from Nazareth to Shechem. Today, you can't travel that, that bit uh, because of uh, political issues. Mm -hmm. But today, the road goes from Shechem or Shechem. The Arabs call the place Nablus. It takes you down from there to Shiloh. We say in Hebrew, Shiloh. Then to Bethel. We say Beit El. Then to the heart of it all, Jerusalem. We say Yerushalayim. And from there to Bethlehem, we say Beit Lechem. From there to Hebron or Hebron. And finally to Beersheba, you would say Beersheba. And these seven cities with Jerusalem in the middle, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a perfect uh, a crown. The, the crown jewel is right in the middle. Seven cities, seven historic and biblical cities. They make up the vast majority of the stories of the Bible. Mm. Uh, recently, uh, I was uh, in a historical place, and they had an old Christian map uh, of the Christian Bible, the land of Israel, the Christian Bible and the land of Israel. 
this mm-hmm. road was the thickest and most highlighted road in the whole map. It, and it had all the writings all around it because this is the travels uh, of the people of the Bible. And just very quickly, just kind of to recall for people, what, what are the things that happened? Just very quickly. Shechem or Shechem, that's where Joseph is buried. That's where the famous mountains of, of the, the blessings and the curses, the Mount of Good Counsel, the Mount of Evil, uh, 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 it's still there today, these twin peaks. And right in the heart of those twin peaks is in the middle of them is the tomb of Joseph. Uh, that's where the Jewish people came to uh, with Joshua and they buried Joseph there uh, and had that, 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 uh, that, that, that event that, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's, what's it called? Grand kind of standing and, and, and the blessings and the curses. Next down uh, from there is a Shiloh. The tabernacle stood in Shiloh for 369 years. That's where Hannah prayed and received the blessings of Samuel, the prophet, who was her child. Oh, Wow, that, that's in that, that's in Shiloh, and you go there today. It's amazing. You'll love it there, and you'll see how the Jewish people, and millions of them, were spread out in front of the tabernacle. You could see the the, the valley there, the plain is more correct. It's a big plain. From mm-hmm. there down south is is Bethel. How many places in the world are uh, Lauren are named Bethel? How many Bethels have you bumped into in your life? There's a Bethel in Minnesota. Uh, there's a Bethel okay. College in Minnesota, in Bethel, Minnesota. Uh, or right. There's a Bethel, Minnesota. There's a Bethel College. Uh, pretty common uh, name in, uh, in America. Why, why is that? Because the word Bethel really means, in Hebrew, Beit El, the house of God. And so anybody worth their salt that wants to make a church, a synagogue, uh, a college, they'll call it Bethel, which is, I want to make a house of God. That's why that name became so prevalent, Bethel. Uh, and that's where Jacob had his dream of the ladder, connecting heaven and earth. Wow. Um, then Jerusalem, that's where Abraham almost, almost sacrificed his son Isaac. That's where two Jewish temples, David's and Solomon's temple, and then, and then the second temple, including Herod. Uh, that's in Jerusalem, of course, important to, to the Christian faith and to the Muslim faith. And then Bethlehem. That's where very important for, for the Christian uh, Bible, but also where King David was born, where Ruth came to from the fields of Moab. She came to Bethlehem, and I'm sitting here about a kilometer away from there right now. Uh, and that's also where the tomb of Rachel is. So Rachel is here. Ruth is here. It's a very strong women town. Uh, okay. And King David was born here. And then south of that, we talked about Hebron. That's where the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs is, the fathers and the mothers. Uh, and King David ruled there for seven years. And then finally, Beersheba, that's the capital of the Negev desert that comes off the mountain and suddenly into the desert plain. And that's where Abraham first pitched his tent. That's where so he this is. So this is an amazing, how, how, what, how long is it? How many miles is, is the uh, Route 60? It's about, it's about 100 kilometers. Okay, how many miles is that? I forget. I'm sorry. I got to. I got to do a translation of that miles to kilometers. <laughs> we uh, do too. But it, it's. Uh, it, it, it takes. You know, you could drive the whole thing in three, four hours mm-hmm. if you drove straight. Uh, but of course, you wouldn't want to drive straight. Uh, that's just the road part of it. Uh, but you would want to peel off and go see uh, the place of of Jacob's dream of the ladder. You would want, of course, spend many days in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem, in Hebron. In Shiloh, there's a, a fabulous tourist uh, uh, re- remake of the Tabernacle uh, and a great movie there. 
and and the bottom line is that this is the most this is the most storied road in the world. It's just the most storied road in the world. And and if you care about biblical history or you want to care about the biblical history, we're working very hard now to make this road into how should I say? I want it to be as famous as, as, as like any other tourist attraction. You know, in, in France, you go to the Louvre Museum, Louvre, Louvre, Louvre however, I, I should have picked something easier to pronounce. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, 11 million people a year go to that museum, uh, enter the doors. This is going to be like that. It's going to be like Masada, Eila, Tel Aviv, the biblical highway. So we're working on a, on a website right now uh, to help people learn about this, this amazing road. We're working on an application, uh, an app, excuse me, that will, will help you navigate this road and navigate its, its modern issues, including some of the political issues and all that, uh, and, but at the same time, help you find the great wineries. Are you, are you a wine drinking, drinker? Oh, wine? yes. Oh, yes. You do? You're a wine drinker? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Not everybody is. Uh, we have some of the finest award-winning wineries along the way, and they love visitors. Um, so we're, we're going to also dovetail the Israel, Israel Biblical Highway with the Israel Wine Trail. Um, and in general, we want to get people the heritage into their hands. And we're mm-hmm. going to do it in fun ways. Some of them are American ways. Like, for example, I came up with this idea called the Bible Belt. I'm like, this is the Bible Belt, right? So we want to sell you a Bible Belt. It's a mm-hmm. belt with the seven cities logos on on uh, along the way. Maybe when you drive from place to place, you collect, collect a little silver thing that you stick on your belt and you'll be like, look, I really drove the, here's the proof that I drove <laughs> the Bible belt. I have the Bible belt with me. I put it on my wall. Um, you know, when I travel with my kids in America, we were, we were uh, in, in, uh, in Florida and in, uh, in uh, Cape Canaveral. And uh, we, 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 we were amazed at how well, uh, it was portrayed, you know, the whole space program and all that, the NASA thing. And, and, and we want to take a little bit of that uh, and share with people the great heritage of the Bible and teach them about this road. It's, it's, um, it's something that it's just it's being presented to the world as, as what it really is, a, a great and amazing road, which you can travel the past, see the present, pray for uh, uh, the future and the destiny of of. of uh, of the world that's bound up with these places, according to biblical tradition. Uh, and that's, uh, that's to me, one of the most exciting, everybody that I speak to about this just says to me, Oh my God, that's like a no brainer. It's like, it's like, so it's so, like, I'm not even, you're not even making anything up. You're not making anything new. You're just taking what is on this one road and saying, Hey, there's a heritage highway here, a, a beautiful road that connects all this, all this history and all this power um, and all this human passion and, and and a way to walk and drive on a road, which leads you, if I can use the cliche, a stairway to heaven. A road you know, to, it's, uh, to, it's really to, amazing. And I'm wondering if you can work out some of the, obviously, the political um, issues that you're bound to have when you go that s- stretch of land between, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, that certain area that you're not even allowed to go on yet. But can you work out some of these political issues, and what are they? So the the road itself is totally travelable. There's no problem with going on the road at any, at a, except for that one segment between Shechem and Nazareth. Uh, it's it's totally drivable. However, a few things. First thing, it's just a two lane highway, uh, which means it's not the fastest road. Uh, it's in good repair mostly, but uh, but it's it's small. 
Second mm-hmm. thing is that uh, there is parts of the whole thing is controlled by Israel, the road, but some parts pass through areas controlled by the Palestinian Authority, which is fine. Uh, but uh, we sometimes have conflict here, uh, mm-hmm. and that conflict uh, makes people scared. They hear the word Hebron. They're not always sure that they want to go there, and they're not always sure that they're going to be getting there with clarity. Signage in the Middle East is not as good as signage in Europe or America. And so one of the things that we have to work on is making it a little bit clear where you are uh, and how you get to where you're going and give you a sense of safety and normalcy. Now, one of the things is that the state of Israel um, has not always seen itself as the country that's supposed to be presenting the land of the Bible. Mm. Yeah, you, you could go to Turkey and they will, they will teach you about the city of Abraham called Haran. They will sell it to you. They will, they will talk to you about it. They'll, they'll make a whole thing about it. Uh, but Israel has been ambivalent about its biblical heritage, which yeah. is so ironic, right? Because this is it the is. land of the Bible. But the problem is, is that Israel's coming out of the Holocaust, out of Soviet communism, like my parents, who, who all manners of religion and knowledge about Judaism were stripped away from them. So Israel, in some ways, was formed as a secular country. And it mm-hmm. a little bit didn't embrace its biblical heritage on top of which where most of this road is not all of it but where most of this road is is in what we call judea and samaria but where some other people call it some of the world calls it the west bank and there's Mm -hmm. a conflict about who should be the controller of this land uh so people like myself are very much in favor of israel being the controller but other people think differently so to some extent, there's there's a conflict around this this road. But I think that the way that I'm presenting it to you today, which is the Israel Biblical Highway or the Biblical Highway, it's not something of conflict. It's something of world heritage. Uh, and, uh, and therefore, it really should be seen as a teaching tool, uh, a connection tool to the Bible. In Israel, we are trying to get uh, our country to invest more in understanding how important this road is, how important this history is, and and Lauren, this is the this is the this is the part that I I must stress. My my beloved country Israel and my beloved fellow countrymen and, and brothers and sisters Israelis and Jews, they don't understand how much of the world yearns to connect to Israel on that biblical level. They just don't get it. I yeah. meet people out there, Lauren, who who just, when they find out I'm Israeli, they're just like, all my life I've yearned to come to the land of Israel. And they take out of their pockets a coin that they've gotten, a shekel or something like that, or a picture. They yearn for that biblical land. And sometimes my beloved country does not provide that thing that they're looking for. It provides them with Israel, the startup nation and other things, but it doesn't, it doesn't know how much people want that and therefore it has not shall we say, branded itself or, or presented itself as the land of the Bible. So well, this, is something my- that, this is something that the, the Arabs and the Israelis can bring together. I mean, this is actually a possible way there can be peace in the Middle East if they band together over this sort of biblical heritage. Um, 
Right. Well, even even that even that you have to know that the Quran and the Bible of the Jews and the Christians has similarities, but also has dissimilarities. All right. And so even that itself, which is what is the truth, um, is it's not just a battle between Fox and CNN. It's a battle between, you know, uh, great books of religion. Um, but there are things that we can get together on, like the well of Abraham which everybody agrees is the well of Abraham and everybody wants to honor that important water source uh, or the tomb of, of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Leah. The truth is the Arabs and the Jews both agree. And I always say to them, let's honor our joint, our shared father together. Let, let us come together to beautify this place, which our father, uh, our forefather, uh, uh, you know, he, here, here he lies. Let us honor him. And people do understand that sometimes the, the name Abraham Accords is a testament to this uh, idea that we can get together around Abraham, around this, this, this biblical figure. And here in the Middle East, that means something like, like maybe somebody's listening to, to your show today, Lauren, and thinking like you can get together around Abraham. That's like, <laughs> that's so, that's so, that's like a storybook. No, here, here in the Middle East, if you don't believe in Abraham, that's weird. Um, and, and of course, you know, the, and, and certainly Arabs, they are, they are, you know, we, we can, we could, we have a lot of conflicts, but one thing is for sure. They are a believing lot. They are believing people. Uh, the Quran, Allah, Abraham, these are meaningful things to them. They very much, they, they, it's no, it's no laughing matter. So, so yeah, this is something that we can, we can get together on. Um, and but Israel has to know that that the world actually looks to 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 Israel. Many people in the world, millions of people in the world. I was just in an airport in um, I think it was in it was in Dallas, and I was flying to Miami on a speaking tour. And um, this lady's this lady at the American Airlines counter is looking at me, and and I'm late, and I've got all my luggage, and I'm I'm all you know discombobulated, and she's looking at me, and I could tell her I already know this look. Anyway, she asks me where I'm from. I tell her Israel, and she says to me, all my life I've wanted to travel to Israel. And mm. then she starts getting a tear in her eye because she says, but now because of COVID, I don't think I'll ever be able to get there. Mm. I, I calmed her down, told her COVID's not, not, you know, we'll get through this thing. But she was still emotional. I took out a coin that I usually reserve for like donors. And this coin has a picture of Abraham looking up at the stars. It's a coin that we designed. And on the other side, it's the tomb of the forefathers and mothers. And I said to her, you know, you may have not come to Abraham, but Abraham came to you. You may have wanted, you may have wanted to come to the land of Israel. Land of Israel came to you. She was just a ball of tears, a bucket oh. of tears, you know, and I just, hand, and it was real. It's, it's, it's amazing. I handed her this coin and ran to my gate and that's it, you know, and, and, and I think that, that uh, my beloved country, Israel, needs to know that that's what a lot of people are looking for. And the biblical highway is a heritage highway, a little bit American inspired in terms of heritage highway, but it connects uh, uh, ancient cities, cities that are 4,000 years old with great history, great stories. And, and thank God also a, a renewed life, uh, a biblical style life in these places once again. Um, before, we, before we go, just where are you in the process now of creating this heritage highway? Um, of Route 60. So 
the 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 highway itself is there. Uh, what, what's what's not there is the is the uh, uh, is the consciousness of it. So we're very much advancing in creating the the website and, and teaching material. And I I've hired a great uh, kind of biographer and, and rabbi to tell the story of each city and, and write it out. We're making movies right now for it. Uh, and I'm working at the same time with the government of Israel uh, to have it recognized and such and marked as such, marked as such, uh, the Israel Biblical Highway and have its own signage. And we're working on all those fronts. Um, but in the meantime, uh, folks could already uh, check out some of the work that we've uh, done by, by checking out my website. S soon it's going to be on its own website, the IsraelBiblicalHighway.com. But in the meantime, it's on my personal website, which is Yishai Fleischer uh, forward slash uh, Biblical Highway. Um, and, uh, it's just, it's just, um, it, it, it's, it's, how should we say the, the ancient road is there and you can still, and you can drive it today, but the consciousness is really forming. Uh, and everybody that I've, that I've touched with this has said to me, this is, this is just so, it's just a framing that, that, that it needed. It needed this love. And uh, as I told you, even the Christian map that I found from 1943 knew it. Uh, but it just didn't have a name for it. So the name itself is uh, is key. And if you're traveling to Israel, and, and we're really hoping that this summer um, it'll open up, we really are hoping for that. And you just ask your tour provider, just say, "I want the I want to go on the Israel Biblical Highway." Uh, by by the summer, there'll be a website uh, that will that will teach you the history, the places, uh, the connections. Uh, but in the meantime. You could go to any one of these places by just traveling Route 60 from Beersheba to Hebron to Bethlehem to Jerusalem to Bethel to Shiloh and to Shechem all on one road. Yishai, thank you so much for being on, on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. God bless you, Lauren. Love your show. Thank you for all you do out there. And thank you, too. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. All right, folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show. Still driving here in beautiful Yerushalayim, heading south towards Gush Etzion, uh, the mountains of Judea, that is. Uh, what a pleasure and honor it is to be with you. And I want to thank also the Land of Israel Network, which gets the show out to the world, and my co-hosts uh, on the network, and all the good folks that put out great Torah. What a schud it is to put out Torah. Uh, if you um, feel, feel the calling, then please uh, buy me a cup of coffee by going to uh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. Thank you, Krista for buying me some great cups of coffee last week, and it made me feel cheery and, and uppity. Uh, not, I don't mean uppity. I mean, like, up. I mean, I mean alive. Caffeinated. Caffeinated. That's right. Uh, so thank you very much. So that's uh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Ishai. Uh, and also, if you want to support some of the big projects that we do, um, please go to ishaifleischer.com forward slash donate. And, of course, how did I forget it earlier, uh, uh, the biggest sponsor that I have, other than, of course, number one is God Almighty. Number two is Malka Fleischer. But the uh, 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 important sponsor of this show is the Jewish community of Hebron and the Hebron Fund. Hebronfund.org makes all the difference in the world to keep up the tomb of the forefathers and mothers and the community around it and therefore your visitation to it and therefore uh, Israel's connection to it and the roots are... Uh, how do we... Like, what do they call in those, like, conditioner commercials? You got to, like... You know, nurture your roots. Am I right? Uh, I mean, there's so many things that happen in a shampoo and conditioner commercial. Yeah, there's keratin. <laughs> well, if you if you have a keratin in your heart, okay, <laughs> then please go to hebronfund.org or to ishafleischer.com forward slash donate. 
And with that, I want to give you blessings from the land of blessings. Thank you for tuning into our unusual show this week with all kinds of different sounds from the car and from the wedding and from Fox, all that kind of stuff. Write me an email, yishayishayfleischer.com. Thanks again to Ben Bresky, Moshe Herman, Yochebet, Tabitha, and Lou for getting the show out to the world. Lots of love and lots of blessings from the land of blessings and from the land of Judea between Jerusalem and Hebron, driving in the good land. May it send you its blessings. Lots of love and shalom. This week on The Jewish Story, The Lebanon War, 1982. These then are the three goals which will drive the war in Lebanon. Destroy the PLO's military capability and hopefully with it their political legitimacy. Number two, get Syria out of Lebanon. Number three, make an alliance with the Maronite Christians to reshape Lebanon's politics, hopefully forever. And all Israel had to do to achieve these goals was find a potential Christian leader in Lebanon and undertake a full-scale invasion in order to destroy the PLO, drive out Syria, and secure his power. What could possibly go wrong? That's The Jewish Story with Rav Mike Foyer on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.